So I have a daughter of a military family who is now in a workplace that's very much circumspect and they talk around the subject and she can't read the clues because she's used to working with people who are direct. If it's black, it's black. If it's white, it's white. And the tension between those who don't speak that way and her is palpable when you walk into the room. Oh my gosh, you've described my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that, but... Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone. Hey, you know, um, one of the things that we've changed up a little bit is is that I'm going to have some regulars. And Pam has been gracious enough, Pam Brooks Richards, has been gracious enough to be part of it. If you haven't gotten her background, I'm going to shortcut it today, but go back and listen to some of the other podcasts. And I swear I tell you all about how fabulous her her background is. But I do want to say this bit here. She has been trained by Brene Brown and did dare to lead. And she's also a certified facilitator, just like me. In fact, that's one of the things that bonded us closer. There's been others, but that really bonded us in going through conversational intelligence by Judith Glazier. She is passionate about helping people and facilitating positive change and has now moved into this kind of how do our emotions really change the way we communicate, interfere with productivity, as well as cause the tension in the workplace. And I think this is the series that we're doing is really going to be helpful for you if you are either coming back to work or you're finding yourself in hybrid. So you're half the time in a video chat, video conferencing, Zoom, Teams, and you're trying to build and sustain relationships, which we all know when it comes to work, what really fuels productivity is those discussions in between assigning the work that help people get context, color, understand how they fit, how the work fits, and how to help them make more decisions. And so that's the discussion that we're going to have a series on. And occasionally, like today, she's going to be helpful enough to coach me through some situations in which I am facing both with clients as well as other folks that I have to deal with. Because I think that would help us get some real depth to the conversation. And so I ask you, if you haven't already signed up to get these on a regular basis, please do so that you can get every one of these and you'll begin to see how to make this work move from being just a general discussion to something that you can use in the workplace. So a little bit about Pam. She's presented to large groups such as Phillips 66 International. She is the lead facilitator coach for ASU, um, Arizona State University. She's done work in Asia Pacific and Shanghai. So she's got a wealth of knowledge from across various countries, geographies, 
even down to she's done some stuff with the 101 Black Women's Coalition and the ASU's Commission on the Status of Women and Master Spark Facilitators for ASU. So at any rate, spare time, we'll talk about that too. But Pam, how's it going? I am excited to be here today, Denise, as always. I have been jacked on the new information from Brene's Atlas of the Heart, and I'm looking forward to sharing some of the tidbits from it today. Yeah, and, and I have jacked, as you said, too, simply because I think that, you know, when you read her book, Atlas of the Heart, it really reads like a reference book. But, it, but now we have to take that reference book, which is, I think, in essence, she wrote it, Because until we can name it, we cannot manage it and to help people figure out these emotions. And so I'm really excited about these series of conversations where we're going to say, here's the emotion, here's how it shows up, and here's how you master yourself as well as call it out to other individuals. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when Brene first said she was going to write a book on emotion, I've read Brackett's book, I've, I've read several and like my bookshelf I've probably got about half a dozen and I'm like how is Brene going to do this different of course Brene style we've had emotional intelligence now for over 10 years and you keep hearing be more emotionally intelligent be intelligent and Brene has cracked that wide open because in her book she clusters emotions together based on what we're experiencing so for example when we have uncertainty Like there's a cluster of emotions around it. Some good, like, ah, oh my gosh, this is just amazing to I'm overwhelmed. And she really puts to heart the difference between them and why labeling them is so important. And so I would say her book is the language of understanding into emotion. Because as we learned in conversational intelligence, what we say, how we say it, even though, you know, the old adage was sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Our words shape our DNA. And if we don't label our emotions correctly, or we push the emotions away, they will own us and we'll never quite get through them the way that we should. And I think the other big thing that I have, like, I want to say some quick wins that I took from her book besides mm-hmm. the emotions, because they're, they're scattered throughout. So it was like, there's some really good nuggets in here, not just about the emotions. And one of them is that she really emphasizes one, we cannot read other people's emotions. Absolutely. Like she will flat out say it. And I'm like, mm. and she said, most people will get mad, glad, sad. But the issue is that's the tip of the iceberg. When we see someone who is being emotional, whether it's really upset or really happy, that doesn't mean we know why. That doesn't mean we know what led up to it, or we don't really know what's going on inside that person. And so I think one of the biggest takeaways is to that curiosity, like this book really will spur you to be curious. It's like, Denise, I, I kind of see that you're kind of holding back today. Can you, can you explain to me why I think I'm perceiving that? What's going on? And you could go, oh, man, I just got back from a late road trip. I'm just exhausted. Or you could go, yeah, I'm a little guarded today. Like, I don't know, but I can perceive that same outer thing. So again, it's just a, it's a fabulous book to get at it. So yeah, not sure where you want to dive because I could talk for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it would help um, to really start thinking about, you know, how does this really show up, you know? And one of the things that, you know, we have talked about is jealousy and how that works in the, in the workplace. But because we can't read emotions, 
I guess at it, and then I make a story up about it. Yep. And that story. We act on it and create self-fulfilling prophecies. Yes. And that story (laughs) begins, well, I'm not sure it's self-fulfilling, but I guess maybe if it's self, it's not that it's self-fulfilling, I think. I think what it is, is that it reinforces my story, but it doesn't get to the heart of what the other folks or a person who I'm talking to is a story. And the only thing we're reacting to is the tension between us. We know there's tension, but now I create a story. You create a story. Everybody who's watching is creating a story. And now we're reacting from the story. And that story now becomes reality. Ooh, there's tension between the two of them. And that's what I meant by self-fulfilling. So if I think you're pissed off and then I add that you're pissed off at me and I start reacting to you, you're going to feel my tension and you're going to go, why is she so pissed off at me? And then we will literally both put up our armor and sit there and clank against each other. And people outside are going, what is going on? Right, 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 right. And so the other thing I think is because most workplaces don't have permission to step back and pause. Correct. Managers and, and employees, no one knows how to create that first conversation that gives permission to deep delve into that. Is that, I mean, have you experienced that? Oh yeah. I've been this last year, I've done a couple of these workshops and, and it really ties back into her dare to lead. Cause she has one section on emotion where people sometimes need to take, and Brene will say, we need to understand our emotion first. So sometimes, you know, it's, oh my God, I get the sense. And so I think the way that she describes it is what I would call the four B's of emotional discovery. Okay. Okay, This is kind of to break down that process. We have to understand that we are not thinking beings with emotion, but we are emotional beings that think. Mm -hmm. And our emotions are the primary thing to all of our memory. They are the primary thing of connection and disconnection. So we can't just go, I'm going to be logical about this without that even having emotion. So the first part that we have to get aware of is the physiology in ourselves to go, something's hooked me emotionally. And so you talked about jealousy, which is one of the ones she breaks down and she goes, God, we have jealousy all wrong. Right. Jealousy, for example, is usually between three people. Mm -hmm. So I could be jealous and this would never happen, but I could be jealous that my husband is flirting with another female. Mm -hmm. And my fear is that I will lose them to the other female. Mm -hmm. Now, This can even happen amongst friendships. Say you and I were really close, really good buds. We showed up every day, talked. And now all of a sudden there's somebody new and I come up to talk to you and you just totally ignore me and turn to the other person. That's jealousy. Like I'm losing my friendship with Denise and I'm getting pissed off at this other person for taking it away. Whereas envy is what we experience most of the time. So I could look at you and go, God, Denise just got to go to Miami. I would say, maybe I'm so jealous, but what I'm really is envious. Yeah. Envy is something that it's one of the sins that we're told not to experience. So we've been told don't be envious. Like we try to like hide it. Yeah. And then it can kind of own us because I could be really envious of something you did, but there's two types of envy, right? The envy that says, I'm so happy for you. I I would have loved to be there myself. And then there's the envy that says, God, Denise has something I want. And this happens at at work. I'm going to sabotage because I want it for me. I want whatever it is or to do whatever it is for myself. Mm -hmm. So biology is our first indication. And as a leader, we have to be aware of that. And the other part is because emotion is what we're feeling in the present. 
but it's caught up in the brain from our past. If I had a bad interaction with you, Denise, yesterday, and you come into my office today and we didn't resolve it, I'm going to feel an emotional kick drawing me all the way back from yesterday. And this is what's happening in the workplace. I didn't resolve that problem. So now it's right back here in present and I'll feel that emotional kick. And now I'm going to displace that emotional kick as being you. Right. And now I'm going to avoid you. I don't want to be around you. And I'm going to be tense every time you come in the room because I have not resolved the problem that could have been really simple from the day before. Maybe it wasn't even that you were pissed off at me, but I took that interaction, created the story in my head. And now, boom, I have that emotional story sitting there going, Mm-mm, don't trust me. Right? right, right, right. So so biology is the first part. And then, you know, we have to get curious about that. But she says, here's the kicker we have to do. We have to look at what she says, biography or our family history as well. And this mm-hmm. is the part that people don't want to take the time to do. Mm-hmm. And it's not always true, but there are times that we might need to go back and go, gosh, I'm getting into a situation where I'm stressed about something. And as a kid, stress in our family was dealt with X, Y, Z. Oh, so I'm responding to this situation based on those skill sets I learned as a kid and it doesn't match up. And that can be as simple as even like when I was teaching public speaking. I had a student, we talk about fear because fear speaking is one of those big ones. Right, right. A lot of times when you're getting ready to speak, you will pull from a very bad experience in your past or something that somebody told you in your past and you don't, it's not there, but it's, it's, it's in the head. So it hasn't reached the frontal cortex. And so that emotion base is something that sometimes we have to bring to the frontal cortex and analyze. So I said, you need to go back and think about when was this time that you just got really anxious speaking? And I had a student come back the week after this lecture and he's like, oh my God, you saved my life. And I'm like, I did nothing to you. I gave you information. What did you do? And he goes, well, he goes, I really took that home and I thought about it. And I'm a bilingual person. And when I was in the second and third grades, I couldn't speak English very well. And when we had to read out loud, the students would laugh at me in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so he goes, I didn't even want to read out loud because I was so embarrassed. And he said, but then I told myself, I'm not that kid. I'm fluent in both. And that doesn't matter anymore. Right. I can let it go. And it's that part of recognizing the emotion, owning it, going back, figuring out where did it come from? And then changing that story now changes the present. Mm -hmm. And he said, I had to do a a pitch this last weekend for my, he's in an entrepreneurial thing. And he goes, my team won the grant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was Mm -hmm. just ecstatic. So that biography is important, especially to make sure that we unpack in certain situations. I don't want to say it's always that case. Sometimes it's just as simple as what happened yesterday, but we also have patterns of interaction that we have gained from our early childhood. I know we're both um, DISC certified. Yeah, There's something to be said about our go-to behaviors and emotions. So behavior's the next one. Well, no, let's, we- let's go back on that because the okay. other thing I want, you know, something that's, that's fairly, at least I'm dealing with now is, I have someone who grew up in a military home and, you know, we kind of think that men who are in military homes will be more cut and dried. And we have this perception that that's always true, but we don't always associate it with the daughters of them. So I have a daughter of a military family who is now in a workplace that's very much circumspect and they talk around the subject. And she can't read the clues because she's used to working with people who 
are direct. If it's black, it's black. If it's white, it's white. And the tension between those who don't speak that way and her is palpable when you walk into the room. Oh, my gosh. You've described my childhood. <laughs> I didn't know that, but I, I my am. My was a military brat. I was raised yeah. by one of them. Black, white, you do it this way or not. And, yeah. and, and then her directness of her conversation, you know, and she says it and then she leaves it. And the other thing I noticed about her in particular is that she doesn't hold on to the emotion. It's said and then gone. It's said yeah. and it's gone where everyone else is reacting to the impact of her directness. And they're hanging on to this for days and weeks and stories are abounding and she's clueless and they all think she knows. Yeah, no. mm -mm. And here's that beauty of starting to unpack that. So in the behaviors, we have to understand our behaviors. And so this is like, to me, great to bring the understanding of the DISC language to this because it helps us create the ways to start asking questions and to appreciate our differences. Mm -hmm. So she needs to recognize the impact she has so that she can soften that. The other people need to realize I'm creating a story in my head that's not correct. Correct. Right. And that's where the problem is, is we will create stories based on our own perception. And then we get in trouble. Like to her, military person, I've given my orders like, cool, I was done. I was great. That was the way we're supposed to do it. Boom, I'm out of here and done. Like drop everything, walk back in and go, what is this bomb in the room? Yes. Right. Completely oblivious to it. And because she's got an SVP title on, now you've got what happens in the workplace of, well, we can't tell her because, you know, and we can't tell the CEO, you know, and so you've got all this dancing and yes. hiding um, yes. in the room and none of it is getting uncovered. No. And now it's building. And this yes. is the part I really see in the workplace because we're now creating patterns of interactions. Yep. We are creating reoccurring, not true stories. Yes. And they will start treating each other based on those stories. And they're usually judgmental. Yeah. After the first offense, maybe not second offense, third offense. Now it's like, you are this person. Right. Right. And, and the reality is if they could get past that, they discover God, the, that's not the totality of who she is. And so here's the other part we have to get. It's like you've just been giving me, I want to say, the context and the backstory. Mm -hmm. We have to allow that to come out as well, because that gives us the grounding and the clarity to create a better story, mm -hmm. a better understanding of what are the emotional responses to those behaviors that we're putting out in the world, so to speak. And so I bet if you did an analysis and you looked at the other people, they are the ruminators, you know, as we know, some yes. of the different profiles, yes. they are like, oh my God, that just happened. And they will go back and it'll replay and replay and replay and replay in their head. And so now it's not just the emotion that she did that once, but it's sitting there. And as we also know from conversational intelligence, there's neurochemicals involved in this now. Mm -hmm. It's not just a logic dance. Emotion is neurochemical. Mm -hmm. And so when we start getting ignited in a negative direction, we can literally shut down our frontal cortex. And now we are literally these um, uh, emotional sumo wrestlers bouncing this neurochemical problem. <laughs> and sometimes before we get too far, because, you know, we can do a deep, we can do a geek dive <laughs> on this. So neurochemical means for those of you who are just starting in this whole genre and hearing these kinds of things, neurochemical means that in your body, when things happen, fear, yeah. love, hate, whatever it is, 
it causes a series of reactions in your body, chemicals that just flood your body. So think of when you when you're fearful and the thing is you either want to hide or you get this flood of chemicals that say run. And if you can't run, all of that is built up in your body and your and it overtakes your brain. So by biology, the prefrontal cortex, which is the judgment part, the critical thinking part, shuts down. The amygdala wakes up, which is the defense mechanism in your body and says, we got to do something. We got to do something. I got to do something. So imagine how this is not these, this idea of neurochemical and emotions flooding your body. And when Pam is talking about, when we're talking about logic goes out the door, it literally is going out the door because what's happening is your body is saying, I'm in a dangerous situation and we have to do something to get out of the dangerous situation. And then we go back to our behaviors of what we do in those situations. Yes. We either go to fight, we either run away, or we sit there with deer in the headlights going, I'm just going to appease my way out of that. Yes, I'll do that. No problem. Yes. And we don't say what's really there. So we never unleash what's going on. And I wouldn't say that the um, frontal cortex or our logic goes out the door. It's literally locked in a box. (laughs) Yeah, well, okay. I think it goes out the door. Because the only thing, and here's why, because what I experienced personally is that the only thing I begin to focus on is how to protect myself. Exactly. Now, once I've figured out how how I'm I'm safe and I have the capabilities to protect myself, then it comes back. It says, okay, can I come in? Knock, 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 and then come in. But literally, especially when the story has been built up over time. I do think that it does kind of redirect it or shut off because what we're trying, the main thing we're trying to do is figure out how to be safe, heard, seen, and relevant. And that's the, that's what today's version of the amygdala shows up at in, in the workplace. And if you can't get those things kind of under control, then you really aren't able to move to a logical, bring the logic back, the prefrontal back in to solve the problem because the the problem you solved is I need to be safe, but not acknowledging that, which is what the beauty of the book is about. It's helping us, uh, uh, Atlas of, of the Heart is doing for us is it helps us identify what the real feeling is so that we can put context and words and go, is it real? Is it not real? If it's real, then how do I handle it? And, and that, again, it's that curiosity around that we can start asking questions. So in the case that you were talking about how where the gal comes in and she's really blunt and direct, if they start bringing the backstory into who she is and why she does what she does or those type of things, and she starts to understand that they are very different in their backstory of how they interpret those things, then instead of creating the judgment in seeing it, they can back off and go, oh, so she's not really pissed off at me. Okay, well, now I'm changing my story, right? Which can change that neurochemical dance because when we move into the fear or the judgment, we are going to fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. Those are our options. Mm -hmm. Now, again, our frontal cortex, as much as it is logic, if we're creating stories, then it's going to run off of bad logic. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's going to go, oh, that's gone on Denise. Don't talk to her today. Yes. But that story's wrong. And so my behavior's wrong. 
And so we have to get to that point where we are not our behavior or our emotion. We are people and we can talk about what those real emotions are Mm -hmm. and what's causing the behavior because we can unpack more of it Mm -hmm. and get to the reality of it. So we'll shift our stories. Yep. We'll shift the chemical dance and it will shift the way that we respond to each other. It's like the only way to do that is you actually have to bring, you have to speak the story. Correct. You have to speak the emotion. You have to speak the story. You have to give it the context so that you can understand what's there. Yeah. 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 So address the emotion so that we can then think about it. Right. Otherwise the emotion is running our thoughts. Right. (laughs) So, So I know I interrupted you. So go back over the BBBs. So biology, just the physiology. And that's the part that we have to own ourselves. I don't know your physiology. I mean, I could tell maybe that you're breathing hard or you're Mm -hmm. crying or something like I can see some external, but it's not giving me logic. But as for myself, I know at different times when I'm hooked because I'll start getting shorter breath Mm -hmm. or my palms will sweat. Mm -hmm. And here's the interesting part. Our physiology is usually similar And it's the label we put to that physiology that will determine how we act. And I think that's the other part that Brene really talks about. So as a college athlete, you know, I get to go play at UCLA, this big, huge pavilion. I came from a small town. When I walk through that door, my heart's racing and I'm feeling a little butterfly in the stomach. My hands are sweaty. If at that moment I go, oh, my God. I'm scared to death. What if I make a mistake in this huge, oh, how embarrassing, like panic, right? It will now send a reiteration of that emotion and those thoughts. And even as I go to warm up, I'm not going to be aware of what I did right. I'm probably going to be aware of all my mistakes and it's just going to send me down a spiral. But if at the same moment I walk in that gym, physiology is absolutely the same. Mm -hmm. I go, God, I'm jacked. Like, how many people get to play in this arena? I can't wait to warm up. Like, mm-hmm. who cares if I make a mistake? Like, this is a once in a lifetime. That story is going to create a much different response. Yeah. So that's why the backstory is so important because when we walk into that moment, we're going back to history and going, what am I, how am I supposed to interpret this? And I'll interpret it based on my own thing. Mm-hmm. So, physiology, recognizing it, our biography, what's our family history around certain things. And then what are we doing? What's the behavior that follows mm-hmm. and that backstory. So it's just, we have to, we have to take that moment to unpack and step back. And the great part about it is that if we take even two seconds, when we know we're hijacked and just breathe in to the count of three and one more time, we'll slow our heart rate down. Mm-hmm. We'll slow that neurochemical dance that can happen down. And then you can go, what am I really feeling? What is it that's coming up? What is it about the context that's created this? And then what was that first story that I created? Like, what was my, okay, now is that really true? Now I can go, "Hmm, well, I've never known Denise to be really upset at me. So that's not the story. So now I can get curious. But what happens in our reactive world, because we've got so much to do, you come in, you do something, I react. Okay, cool. We go on. I might even talk to somebody else and go, God, did you see Denise today? Yeah. We're adding to it. And now we've created rumors in the office. And so now we have an us, them, us against her situation. And now we have emotional tension anytime that it comes up. Yes. Yeah, it does. And, and, and you know, so 
the other thing is, is that we've been talking about this from a very positive intent. Some behaviors do create, which is some of the things that she talks about in Dare to Lead, an environment or a culture that begins to feed on itself. And the one that I see, the one of the ones I see a lot is backdooring. And that's where, you know, we're in the meeting, we, people have said, no, I don't think this is the way we need to go. And there's someone who has the ear of the manager, the leader, the CEO, whoever, and then they start whispering and working on that. And then the next meeting comes up, that which was said, no, I don't think that was a good idea. Now the leader is saying, well, I think it is a good idea and this is what I want. And there's no room now because you know he or she has made the decision, but we all know that the person who brought it up has been backdooring the, the communication process. Yes, that, that back channeling, the meeting after the meeting yeah. is what causes our toxic workplaces. Mm-hmm. And people start to be afraid they're cautious who they talk to. We start forming camps, clicks. Yep. Yeah. You know, okay, well, so-and-so's on my side and so-and-so's on my side. And I know that they're on that side. And so we literally start changing the culture instead of, and that's the vulnerable part, having the leader turn to that person and say, Hey, I get what you're telling me, but guess what? You should have spoke up in the meeting because everybody on the team needs to hear it. Because or that it, we need to have a bigger discussion about it. So that right. what we do is we come to right. consensus about what we're going to do, why we're going to do it, instead of backdooring. And then the next thing you know, the email comes out, this is where we're going, which now has sent, you know, the, there's the ruminators who are, oh my God, blah, 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 blah. and then there's those who are less about ruminating to, dang it, now, but the story, the camps, the clicks. Yes. are now starting to form. And the story is now being told about that person and who, the leader. Yep. And now everyone is on edge. Yes. And then you go into the next project and people will go, God, the last time I was in a project was so-and-so. They did X, Y, Z. And now you've already created an issue in that next project because you're bringing that emotional baggage and those things right into the next project. And everybody's sitting there going, this person's backdooring, backchanneling. And so now they're disengaged and saying, you know, why, you know, well, she spoke up or he spoke up. I I don't need to say anything. So now the leader really doesn't get the right information because everyone (laughs) is going, why am I even here? So, so here's the other part that's important as you know, Brene talks about their skill sets, their, their courageous skill sets, but there's definitely skill sets. If I can learn how to communicate better. So maybe we're on that team and I know that you're kind of the back channeler Yep. and I know it's going on. I could take you to the side and say, Hey, Denise, I know that in that meeting, you looked like there were some things that really concerned you, but you never spoke up. Can you talk to me about that? Mm-hmm. And then I can go, it's really important that you put a voice to that because the rest of us in here need to hear what you have to say. And I think even though you think that we're opposed to you, I think it would be refreshing to hear those instead of hearing about it after the fact, mm-hmm. you know, and then we can have a discussion around something like that. Or I might go to the leader and say, hey, I know that you really believe a lot in what Denise is doing. And I think some of us probably would too, but can you be good about making sure that whatever you guys talk about, 
comes up at the meeting so that we can hear what's going on. And instead of maybe having that as an offshoot that you go to Denise and say, Denise, make sure you bring that up in the next meeting. So I can even actually go in and help coach the leader in situations if I have gotten there. But what happens in most situations, we don't have the skill set. We're scared to death. I'm never going to speak up to the leader because we don't speak up to power. And then it goes on and it perpetuates and it gets worse until somebody leaves. Mm -hmm. And then the next person comes in and learns there's a hidden code of conduct and I have to figure out what it is. Well, not only is it that, but everyone in the room, when the new person comes in, they tell them what the hidden code of conduct is. Eventually. Then they point it out that, see, that's what we're talking about. And so, and so now all, you, all a matter of who they connect with first, because then yes. it becomes that, okay, do I want this person in my clique or <laughs> no, I'm not going to touch them. They're better off than they're Like, seriously, I mean, it's crazy. And, and here's the fun, some fundamentals. Right. So labeling emotion is huge. And right. the book brings up, again, not just the emotions, like there's 87 in there and you kind of go, oh, that's a lot. But she brings them up with regards to the places we go when we're uncertain, when we're yeah. hurt, when we're anxious, you know, so, so you can go in and go, God, yeah, I'm facing a situation that could really be stressing me out. I'm going to go look at that. Mm-hmm. And so as an example of labeling emotions correctly, if I go in and I go, God, I'm stressed. Stress itself is not bad. We need stress to perform better. I mean, mm-hmm. I was always taught the U curve as an athlete, like no stress, okay, you're a couch potato, nothing's ever going to happen. You're bringing it up to a certain level. And this is true of decision-making. It's true of performance. Some stress puts us into a level of higher performance, but then we reach that tip and we start going the other way. Yeah. But if we label God, I'm stressed. Cool. I'll probably figure out what's stressing me. Okay. I'm going to deal with it. But if I, at that point go, God, I am so overwhelmed. Yeah overwhelm is a much different state. Like that's on the other side of that arc. Mm-hmm. And just by labeling it that way, I'm going to cause, again, we call the neurochemical dance. Like my fight, flight, freeze may kick in on the state of labeling myself as overwhelmed. But this is also true of people around labeling mm-hmm. you incorrectly. We should never label somebody as an emotion, or we should never put them in a box. If I go, God, Denise, why are you so overwhelmed? Your first thing in your head is like, God, am I really overwhelmed? I guess I am overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And now I'm owning that emotion you just placed on me. And now I'm going to be in a completely different state because of it. And so labeling is huge and kind of diving into what, what's really accurate. That other part, we can't read the emotions. And sometimes we can't read our own. We need to like sit down and chat, like, God, I need to get to the bottom of this. This is true. Right. Right. Females. Something's really worked me out. Let's just keep talking. All of a sudden it's like, Oh God, it's really not this other thing that happened, but this thing that happened yesterday. That's or really- the story I got told da, 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 right. da, that, I'm, that now is my lead in right. that right. this person is this way. Okay. So another one that's really a driver is unmet expectations lead to frustration. She puts a huge thing in there. And so here's that other part that we don't communicate well about. I come into the situation, even the one that you just described, mm-hmm. a leader comes in and she has expectations. Have they been discussed? No. Have they been back and forth and clarified? Probably not. But she's right, got, right. she throws the grenade in the room and walks out going, they know how to deal with it. And the people in the room are like, oh my God, she just left a grenade in here. I don't know what to do with it. Yes, right? yes, yes. Because we're and polite. So she'll, and she'll come back in and realize they didn't deal with the grenade. And now she's pissed because she had expectations, but mm-hmm. she didn't make them clear. 
And so that's that part of being able to step back and creating the right atmosphere so that we can go through, as we talked about in the last one, the five C's to clarify yeah, and to give permission for that clarity of expectation, because now we'll reduce that frustration. We will reduce the negative stories because now we know what the performance is supposed to be. Yeah. And it's also that I can either anticipate more of you or less of you, which is either going to hurt you or it's also going to put you in a box and you're going to go, God, they just don't believe I can do this. Right. 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 Yeah. Which is the worst one. Right. But both all that has to do. So unmet expectations lead to frustration. Have to clarify. We all have a need to belong. And I think that is one of those spurs when we start going, am I in the in crowd or am I in the out crowd? Yep. Yeah. And then we start creating defensive mechanisms, things that we do because I need to belong. Like there's things that I will do to try to fit certain right. things. Whether right. I appease my own will, like, God, this isn't who I am, but in order to get along, I'm going to have to do that. Then we feel compromised. So what are we doing? And is it be belonging that's really at the core of why we're doing our behaviors? When we're in fear, there's a disconnection and that's usually the source of poor behavior. And so when you see cultures, and I know Brene was bigger, when you see the termites on the wall, when you start seeing things where people are responding because of the fear, whether it's the armor, like the defensiveness that comes up, the criticism, we're putting other people down, whatever it is, fear leads to those bad behaviors. And if we don't get to the root of what that fear is, we have issues. And as we know, yeah, but- like this, some people it's control, like I've lost control. My fear is loss of control. Yeah. For some, it's the oh my God, I'm not fitting in. I don't belong anymore. Or, oh, I don't want to look bad. I'm so scared. Like everything I do has to be perfect. Perfectionism. Like, or I, you don't like me. Why Why right. don't they like me? Exactly. So, so so what's the fear factor? Because the fear will drive a behavior. And if we get to the root of that, that helps. Um, emotions are contagious. And I think that's the other part to realize is that once we get into one of these negative loops, it is so contagious that it will start affecting everything until we can take the deep breath, we can back up, we can talk about it, we can address it. And once we start addressing it, we can now create a whole new atmosphere of understanding. Perfect. Last part of this, self-compassion and positive emotion emotion is important. You know, go back to Gottman's work on relationship. He's got 50 some years. The neurochemical thing that we talked about is actually proven in research. If we don't have five positive interactions with people to the one negative, we're in trouble because most of the neurochemicals like adrenaline and cortisol can last in our body for up to 12 hours. And if we ruminate, they can last 24 hours plus, Yeah. right? But the positive ones, which are like oxytocin, the bonding, like if I saw you in present, we'd give each other a hug, man, we'd have an oxytocin rush or dopamine. We just had a great project. We finished together. Ooh, we got a sense of reward. Those only last for about three to four hours. And so we have to kind of watch those interactions to go, how many positive do we have to negative? And we also have to be forgiving of ourselves. Yeah. Hey guys, you know where to find us every Thursday. We're going to be talking about this. And I think the next podcast that we're going to do is really look at this idea of how to be self-compassionate, how to really control ourselves so that we can get better out of this. So you know what I'm going to say, if you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will be a conversation that will help you close the gap. And the other side of it is don't miss anything. And if you want to have a deeper dive discussion about this, go to my website uh, once a month for half hour. I'm on there and we're having conversations around how to deal with these things in the workplace. So with that, it's a wrap. See you next week. Bye. That's a wrap. 
And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.